0: good to see you. You know, now in our new world, I've got to say hello to our Colonial Heights campus, our Midlothian campus, our online campus. We're just just all spread out and everywhere, but certainly grateful for the the chance to gather. And y'all are, uh, this side apparently is more social distancing than this side. I don't know what's going on Quite o- over here, I guess we're just all confident we're virus free. So that's, that's good. We are inching our way back to normalcy last week entering the building. And, uh, today at, at nine o'clock, we started with our children and youth ministries back and going. And, uh, there's one youth that's very excited about that. <laughs> and, uh, we're, we're got that going. And then next week, uh, we're adding back life groups. Now, that doesn't mean if your life group is meeting next week. No room in the church is used more than one hour. No, no room is re- re- used twice in a row. So that's true with our, our children and youth. And then with life groups, uh, you're, they're, they're on a schedule. So you can go online or ask your teacher, hey, what, what Sundays is our class meeting? But uh, it's, it's on a schedule there, but there is the opportunity to start gathering again. And boy, as we gather, just remembering what what the church means to us, Amen, and and what it can mean, and what we we need it to mean. You know, there's all different times and ways that we'll experience that. Uh, we we Karen and I certainly have experienced that this week. We didn't even really make an announcement yet or say anything, but have been so ministered to. Karen's father passed away this past Sunday night, and uh, a week ago, we we kind of got a two three day warning. Uh, that was coming, and uh, so he he passed, and we'll be going to do the, the funeral there this week. And just would appreciate your prayers, but so many already. Just kind words, encouragement. Man, what a what a blessing to know we're not in it alone, right? It, it it's just, and I, it almost sounds cliche ish, but how do people do this without a church family? Uh, sometimes it's the spiritual family that carries us where our our biological family can't, right? And, uh, so, so grateful for our, our church home. And, uh, for a lot of reasons. You know, we, we've talked a lot this, these coming months, these past couple months coming through COVID about how you, how we have picked up the vision of this church. And you remember the, the vision of our church is to be a church that the 804 can't imagine. Being without and, and there 's a background to where that statement came from we We live in a culture we live in a in a world that that is looking at the church at best with apathy and and at worst, maybe even with antagonism. Well, it's hard to be a part of community when people don't want you there, (laughs) when people think you're a part of the problem. Now, we can kind of crawl into a hole and whine and complain and cry about how bad it is out there and how good we are in here. But we actually just decided to own the status. That's how they see us. That is what it is. So what are we going to do? And and really, in that vision, we're trying to earn. We're trying to earn the opportunity to have a ministry, earn the opportunity to share the gospel, earn the opportunity to to preach, to teach, to share the word of God. And we we do that by looking out out there in our community and trying to to see and understand what needs there are, what needs we can fill. And uh, man, we've been doing that now for several years and it's been going really well. And as you've already heard me say, and COVID has just taken it to another level. I a lot to be very upset and worried about with a virus, but it really has given our church some new opportunities to to serve our community. And what's been kind of exciting through all this is a lot of times it's the church leadership that is putting together an idea, putting together a project, and then y'all come on board and we go out there and do that. But so much of this has just been you, the individual member, being the church, Going out there and finding a way to serve a need and meet a need. And in many cases, the church is coming in behind you. It, it's coming alongside you. We're the Calvary. You, you were out there. You created it and we were able to come in and, and, and be a part of meeting that need. And so, you know, that's, that's what we do now. We're, we're constantly out there looking. And, and you know what, folks? We're in a place right now in our community. I think, somewhat unique, I guess I can use that word, where maybe almost every member of our community is, has the same need, the same burden, the same concern. And that need, that burden, that concern would, would kind of be rotating around the word racism. Racism. Now, when I say that, obviously, I'm not suggesting that everybody's approach to that word is the same. No, there's going to be different ideas. There's going to be different experiences. There's probably some contradictory ideas and experiences. But that is so much on on everyone's heart as they look at that issue, as they look at relationships, as they look at our world. And, And you know what? Even in our church... I mean, I, 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 my prayer would be, my assumption would be that our spectrum in here is not as broad as it is out there, but there would be a spectrum of, of what's going on, why it's going on, how we're to respond. And so there's just so many ways to approach this, but, but I wonder if maybe the big thing that should be driving us right now is how we approach this as a church, I mean, folks, I just can't help but think that God's up in heaven looking down saying, man, this, ought to, this is your time to shine. This, this, this is your great hour. Folks, around the vision that we already had to lead, to serve, to meet a need. And I think as God is looking at that, I'm not saying suggesting that God's scrambling, oh my gosh, what's going on down there? How did that church, come on, let's get on board and do something here. Folks, this is something God's been trying to communicate ever since man divided, and that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. I mean, why do you think God says in Malachi two, hey, y'all know you got one father? One father. For for all of you. we all all of us, as we just saw in the video, we're reminded, we're all created by one person. What do you think God is saying to us in Acts chapter seventeen when he says, From one man, from one blood, all the nations. Now, you see that word nation. Okay, that, that's there's a better word really actually to interpret that, because the word right there, when we see that word, we think of a border. We think of a flag and that's really not what that word is. The Greek word used right there for nation is the word ethnos in the Greek. It's what we get our word ethnicity. It's all the people groups from one person from one blood came all the people groups of the world. And what what does God think about all the people groups of the world? I think Colossians chapter 3 makes it pretty clear. There is no distinction. And you know, you can look at the rest of the verse and he kind of breaks it out about different people groups and different ways we think of people, certainly in in that time, how they would have maybe broken people up into, into groups, but you don't really get past the first four words. There is no distinction in the eyes of God. You know, when we think of the Lord, obviously there's a very strong name attached to that and that's the name Jesus, amen? Think about the first words spoken on the night that Jesus got here. On the night that he came here as a baby, what, what did the angel say? Hey, I've got great news, great joy filled with great news for what? For the nation of Israel, for this one people group. No, it's for all the people. And folks, that word all is very important. The angel is saying, hey, this is going to be for everybody. Now let's book in the, the words spoken the first night he got here with the words Jesus spoke the last night he was here. What, what was the last thing he said to his disciples? Hey, I'm leaving. Now you guys go into all the world. And, and, and you make followers, you make disciples out of all. You see the word nations, but again, it's the word ethnos. I mean, in the announcement of his arrival, in his last words, what is he honing our attention in? All the people groups of the world. I mean, how many ways does God need to say, I made all people. I love all people. I care about all people. I want all people. And as somebody who believes that, as a follower of mine, you are to love and you are to go get them and and the result of our going and getting them is the greatest picture of of diversity and wonder in all the world we just actually looked at it recently in revelation chapter 7 look 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 at this verse folks after this i looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every ethnos, from every kind of people, tribes, peoples, languages. Folks, I mean, gosh, one of the most powerful, beautiful scenes in all the Bible is to get to see the throne of God, to get to see God himself. As we've traveled through Revelation, we saw that in chapter 4. We see that in chapter 5. Now we see it here again in chapter 7. And we're wanting to see God. Man, we're wanting to see his glory and what what, what he is like. And what does God put around that throne? What does God show us? That diversity? And folks, the goal of the church today has to be the, the church of tomorrow in heaven. I mean, that, that's a picture of heaven, isn't it? Right there. All that diversity around the throne. I want you to think about something you have prayed for more times than you can ever count. It goes something like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, God, I want it to be here, I, especially in this room, especially in this church. We want it to be here like it is in heaven. And folks, I think that's a pretty clear picture of what it looks like in heaven. And yet after all this, we still don't get it. You say, what, what, do, you, what do you mean we don't get it? Who, who doesn't get it? The church. I I would say the church still doesn't get it. And 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 when I say the church, let's start with kind of what we think out there is kind of the beginning of the church. How about the Apostle Peter? The the Apostle Peter quite didn't get it. You know, from everything I I, I read and see of of the Apostle Peter in Scripture and in books, I, 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 I don't think Peter was a racist. I think Peter was probably a very kind and generous and respectful person. I think he loved and he valued people. He wanted the opportunity to sit down with anyone and everyone and share the gospel. And yet with all those things he knew and believed, you know what? Sometimes culture and traditions and even religion can be so deep and ingrained in us, we don't even realize we're still operating with some separation, And I would actually say in Peter, probably kind of a small thing. And would you believe God came along and said, you know, that small thing, it stops right here. We're going to change this. We need to deal with this. And so God's going to send Peter to share the gospel with the Gentile. Okay, that that would be two ethnicities and one in which there's very strong views of the other ethnicity. Which again, I'll tell you, I can can see that Peter's going to be more than happy to do that. But God... Wants him to share the gospel in his house. And that's where just some of those kind of past ways of thinking and traditions were going to be a little much. So before Peter even had a chance to fail, God's going to give him a lesson. And he's going to have to put them to sleep to do it. Turn with me today to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. About, oh, 80, 90% of the way through your Bible. You'll find it right after Luke and John and right before Romans and Corinthians. Acts chapter 10. Let me begin in verse 9. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. It says, "'The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray.'" And he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. So what's on Peter's mind? Food. So God says, all right, that's what we'll use. We'll use food for a lesson. Uh, he's hungry. He wants something to eat. And he, but he fell asleep. He fell into a trance and he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord. Now I'm just, I'm going to start. A, this is another sermon I'm preaching to you today. This one's going to take about 10 seconds no Lord is never gonna work out well for you. Can I just put that out there? That's the whole sermon, there it is. No Lord doesn't work. Now what I love about Peter, and this honestly, you know, have y'all ever heard me say this is one of my favorite passages? Yeah, pretty much any passage I'm in is my favorite passage. But this is really kind of exciting because not only does Peter say no Lord, but then Peter's gonna quote scripture to tell God why he's wrong. Hey Peter, you might wanna just stop and think through that real quick. Okay, so he he says, no, Lord, I'm not going to do that. I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. Now, let me me stop right here again. Jesus, when Peter was walking with him, when Peter was in his company, Jesus declared all foods clean. Jesus had already said, we're not gonna, there, there was a time, there was a reason that we operated by clean and unclean foods, by the dietary laws, but Jesus said, no more, all foods are clean. He already knew that, hey, there's a lot of things I can believe and know, and I still can't get past what I've always done. And so even though he knows the answer, he says, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. So God comes to him a second time, and he says, hey, listen, what God has made clean, do not call common. You can't see it there in the English, but in the Latin, it says, hey, stupid. What I say is clean is clean, okay? And this happened three times because Peter's a little bit of... Three times God did this same thing, trying to make this clear. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius... Right then, they're outside knocking on the door. See, God, God put a lesson, God put a thought right there. He doesn't get three times, three times. God, Peter's still going. What do you? What's the point here? What are you trying to say here? And and here come the guys knocking, and they they want to take Peter to share the gospel with Cornelius, which again I know for a fact he's going to be more than happy to do. But but God wants him to go in the house. God wants them to go inside there. So, folks, kind of a a little bit of background before we look at this. So, does God actually say there is clean and unclean food? I mean, is Peter actually responding to Scripture? The, The answer is yes. Now, never mind that Jesus is already... Cleaned all that up, no pun intended, has already clarified that we're not operating by that. But Peter had been raised in a system, lived in a system where you had clean, unclean, and common. Probably what we would say instead of common would be neutral. Now, now common isn't unclean, but it's not clean. It's not holy either. And, and mostly you're going to be thinking of food. There was clean and unclean food, but then there was, there was situations, there was places, there was even people. And, and really, in the Jewish mindset, they're going to pretty much look at all of life as being a clean situation or an unclean situation or, or again, a, a common situation. And, and there were laws about how we relate with people. Now, now, here's the problem with these laws about how we relate with people. You know what we do with these laws? We, we obey them, Right? Yeah, okay. Obedience is good. You, that's the one. Oh, absolutely. Pastor, we obey. We disobey them. And the reason I disobey God's laws when he tells me what not to do, with, you know, and other is because I'm different. And this situation is different. And this person is different. And so I know God understands. Can I just say, no, he doesn't. You know he does. He doesn't have a special circumstance for you and your relationship and your situation. So we obey, we disobey, and then there's something else we will do. And and I think this is even we see this a lot in scripture: is we take what God has said about how we relate with another and we misapply and we misuse. We'll put it ourselves under the, uh, under the idea of obedience. But honoring God, exalting God, showing God in this relationship has nothing to do with what we're doing. What we're doing is I'm using Scripture to push you away. You know, like loving your enemies. Forgiving. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use Scripture to push you away. I'm going to use Scripture to say I'm better than you. I'm going to use Scripture to say you're unclean, you're bad, you're, you're unholy. And so we use Scripture, but only to serve our, sometimes to justify our own prejudices. You know, an example today, we, in the New Testament, people are not called clean and unclean. That's not something we operate by. But you know, the Scripture does have commands for us on how we relate with others. A believer cannot, and this is almost completely forgotten in the church today. A believer cannot marry an unbeliever. You, you, you can't do that. Oh, but I'm in love. Okay, don't fall in love when you know that's going to be a situation that God's hand's not on. A believer cannot marry an unbeliever. A believer cannot get in a binding relationship with an unbeliever. Now, what we can do is we can pick up verses like that and say, because believers are better. And we got to separate. And we got to push them away because we're better than... That's not what God said. Matter of fact, there's a whole host of other places that say we need to befriend those other believers. We need to love and serve those unbelievers. Well, Which one is it, God? Oh, it's both. You see, folks, what God is protecting us from is getting in a situation where we can't slow down and back out. Because sometimes you and I will enter relationships and we genuinely want to have an impact for the Lord, right? Go ahead and say yes. Makes me feel good. Man, I want to influence for the Lord. I want to be able to share the gospel. I want to be able to make a difference. But sometimes as I get into, I have, I don't know if y'all have, sometimes as I get into those relationships, I find out, oh, wait, I'm pretty sure they're influencing me more than I'm influencing them. I'm becoming a little bit more like their world than they are becoming more like my God. God. Okay, well, if I'm in a relationship and I recognize that is happening, I can slow down and back out. You know, I've been convicted. Okay, I'm going to get my bearings right. I'm going to get my mind right. And, and there may, may take some time before I can kind of re enter hanging out with that group or with that friend because I want to be able to influence them. I can't slow down and back out if I'm married to that person. I can't slow down and back out if, if I'm in, a, in a, some kind of binding business relationship with that person. So God's not contradicting himself. He's saying, man, I want you out there relating with the lost, loving the lost, serving the lost. Just don't get yourself in a position where when you realize they're influencing you more than them, you can't slow down and back up a little bit, right? But we don't use those commands, misapply, misuse to push people away, to say we're better than, to say they're unholy and I'm holy. And, and we do that because it makes us feel better about ourselves. It justifies our, our prejudices. Now, again, I want to be clear about Peter. I've not seen anything, read anything about Peter that would have said he would be unkind. He would be mean. He wouldn't want to share the gospel with Cornelius. No, I, I, I don't think anything like that is going on. I think he's a lover and respecter of people. He'd be more than happy to share the gospel, but he wasn't going to go in that house so god comes to him in this vision and he's got this all this old testament imagery this old testament law that he's building this story on and 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 we realize it's not really about food it, it's not about food at all, the lesson that that God is trying to teach here. And so he, you, you read through the story and he, he gets there and we know he's perplexed. We know he's trying to figure it out. And it would be very rich, by the way, if I would go ahead and give you kind of some of the background verses, the background of the Old Testament to kind of see all that was going on in this dream. But the beauty of this particular passage is whether I understand what is going on here or not The moral of the story is made very clear for us. Look at verse 34. So Peter opened, now he's at at Cornelius' house now. So he opened his mouth, Peter, and he said, truly I understand. You know what truly means? He's saying, you know what, I just got the message. I, I, I really now, I understand what this is about. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, in every people group where there's somebody who fears him and does what is right and is acceptable to him. Hey, folks, that needs to be somebody acceptable to me. And, you know, kind of back up from here. Acts chapter 10, we have God teaching him this lesson. But we can go back to Acts chapter 2. And that's not a long way back. It's only eight chapters. I mean, time-wise, it's not a long way back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 would be one of the most important chapters in the Bible for this reason. Acts chapter 2 gives us the birth of the church. The the birth of what you're sitting in today happens in Acts chapter 2. Two. It is the first time that the gospel is preached. We could certainly say Jesus preached the gospel, but I'm referring to the gospel that now includes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we go to Acts chapter 2, God, in my opinion, seems to go out of his way or to be very intentional, very purposeful as the gospel is being preached, the church is being built, and there's all these people coming. God stops and starts listing the kinds of people that are coming. Now if he'd have said all people, if even if he would have said all ethnos, I would have gotten it. Hey, there's there's all kinds of people coming to the Lord. There's all kinds of people coming to the this brand new church, but he actually stops and lists the nations that they're from. Fifteen. Now, I've read that passage lots of times, and I I really don't care where they were from. That just doesn't make any difference to my day. I'm guessing the same is true for you. So why does God list out these nations and show all these people groups coming? Folks, have you ever stopped and thought about how many religions are built on one people group? are built on one name. And that's just kind of historically how it's come up. And God in the birth of the church says, this is not about one people group. This is about diversity. We're doing a new thing here. We're building something around all of the ethnos. Right there at the birth of the church, God is developing that. And guess who preached the gospel that day that thousands responded to from all these nations? Peter. (laughs) Peter was the one who was there and who did that. And yet here we are in Acts chapter 10 and he's still trying to teach that lesson, because probably outwardly, while there would be nothing that needs to be corrected about Peter's behavior, inwardly God still said, "No, that we we haven't gone everywhere we need to go. You, you, Peter, you need to go in the house. Why? Why, why would that house be so important? You, you know what happens inside a home? Relationship. Do you know what God and the gospel is about?" It's about real relationship. It's not just about doing something for somebody and then, you know, that they say thank you and you say you're welcome and we move on about our business. It's about real relationship. And for real relationship, at least on this planet, that usually means reconciliation is happening somewhere. You know what reconciliation is? It's when two people are at odds and you reconcile them, you bring them back together. Two groups are at odds and you reconcile them and bring them back together. Do you know that's the only reason you're here today is to do that? Sweet, what are you talking about? It's the only reason I'm here. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, entrusting to you. God has put into your hands, God has put into your mouth, the message of reconciliation. That is the single most important thing you're doing while you're living on the earth. You're reconciling. Say, wait a minute, time out, pastor. That seems to be pretty clearly about God and man reconciling. There's nothing there about man and man reconciling. Yeah, and I can take you to 1 John chapter 4 and dozens of other passages that will tell you there is no such thing as being reconciled to God when you're not reconciled with the people around you. First John actually says you're lying to yourself. You're you're lying to yourself. Folks, the message of reconciliation with God is lived out, is applied in a message of reconciliation with each other. And that would be wherever we need to see reconciliation. A lot of times, for most of us, that's going to be between two individuals. But folks, when we see the need going on in our world... How do, we, how do we not see that, man, the, the reconciliation that, that, that needs to be done here is a racial reconciliation. It is a reconciliation between groups. And then, folks, this is not a, this is not a neat idea. This is, this is not, uh, hey, this is a response to what is going on in the world today. Folks, this has been the biblical mandate on our lives for 2,000 years. This is what the church was always to be doing. Have we been doing it? I think at least in America, we can, for the most part, not not completely, but for the most part, we can say, no, we haven't. I was reading a book re- here recently. The last couple of weeks, uh, one, one of our church members, Arthur Gregory, one of our our, our deacons and a good friend of mine, uh, recommended I, re- I read this book. It's called One Blood by John Perkins. John Perkins was a pioneer in the in the civil rights movement. And uh, the the subtitle, I love this subtitle. I don't know why it grabs my attention? Parting words to the church on race and love. Why does he call it parting words? Well, it's because he was 87 years old when he wrote this. And I guess he was thinking he didn't have a whole lot more books coming out of him. Uh, and, and it was published in 2018. He actually is still alive. He's 90 years old. And uh, he, he was a, uh, he, born into a sharecropping family in 1930. In Mississippi, and I'm guessing we all know enough historical context to know that a black man growing up in Mississippi in the 30s, 40s, and 50s—that was probably challenging at best. Uh, there was probably plenty of places that was uh, less than pleasant. And he says that. He, he, he says that he became very embittered. That he became very angry. That he hated. He said, I hated with every fiber of my being white people. It didn't matter what they had done. It didn't matter what they were like. I, I, I didn't like them. And, and then he begins to tell the story of meeting Jesus Christ. And, and, you know, he probably grew up in church like most people did in America in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. But, but he talked about actually meeting Jesus Christ and being overwhelmed to understand that Jesus loved him. And that Jesus forgave him. And in being overwhelmed with the love and the forgiveness, he realized there's no way I can receive this and not give it. And he began to give that love and that forgiveness. And he talks about how that's the first freedom he's ever felt in life was to be able to take the love and forgiveness that Christ had given to him and, and be able to give it to others. He's got a, a tremendous story, uh, in here. But as he's, as he's talking about, again, the title gives it away on race and love, uh, in the church, he's, he's, he's writing about today. And he makes the comment. Uh, he said, You know, the reason, and, and he, again, he, he was with Martin Luther King in that era and seems today to be kind of a profound believer in a nonviolent protest. And uh, he says, You know, the reason that there's a a Black Lives Matter. And I'm not talking about the statement referring to the value of a black person, but the political group, the, the organization out there. He said, you know, the reason that something like Black Lives Matter exists is because the church did not do what it was supposed to do. Well, there's some food for thought, huh? If the church had carried the message of reconciliation, if the church was living out reconciliation, then there is no need. Then, then something like that never rises up. And I think one of the things I really connected with Mr. Perkins in this is his love for the church. I think his love for what our vision is, to be a church that our community can't imagine being without, because he says quite profoundly, Black Lives Matter will not solve the problem. The government will not solve the problem. The schools will not solve the problem and laws will not solve the problem. God put the church here to solve the problem. Look up here what he says. The problem of reconciliation in our country and in our churches is much too big to be wrestled to the ground by the plans that begin in the minds of men. This is a God-sized problem. It is one that only the church, only the church There's not another group. There's not another agenda. There's not another organization out there that can do this. Only the church. And we can't do it by ourselves, can we? Man, we got to be depending wholly and fully and completely on the power of the Holy Spirit for there to be real healing. And I love this last sentence. I, I think you can only say this if you have lived in that love. It requires the quality of love that only our Savior can provide. Folks, I I, I think the idea here is real simple, is that as the community potentially would watch our church, they would watch our relationships with each other, the diversity in here, they would see the power of God and the gospel of God and the only real thing to solve the problem. And i I, that's true for any church, isn't it? That's not just our church. That would be true for any church. Now, you take our church or a church even in our community. You know, I I think I understand like the, the black population in America is like around 15%. In our community, it's over 35%. So I would say we have double the reason. We have double the reason to make this an issue. Our church wants to let the power of God fall and do what only God can do. We, we want to see God move and work in this way throughout our church. You know, and, and, and folks, the, the, the good news is, I think God's already begun something here at the Heights. God's already moving and and working here at the Heights. Uh, You know, the last 10 years, we've seen a a tremendous diversity, uh, a growth of diversity here in our church. And that's not by accident. We've worked at that. We've prayed for that. We we did things to say, this is who we are and, and this is what we want. And it didn't just begin 10 years ago. It began like over 30 years ago. If you were here in February when we were celebrating our our 100 years anniversary, you might remember we told the story of Sam Galloway. Sam was the first black member of our church, probably the first black man to enter this church. And he did that by invitation. Which kind of makes me think, okay, the person, and it was a lady, that lady had to assume, had to trust that if I issue this invitation, you know, my church is going to be okay with that. They're going to respond appropriately to that. And they did. They absolutely did. The the church as a whole, as a family, absolutely received him and accepted him. you know, and I do say it purposely, the whole My guess is, I mean, I know humanity, you know, humanity, my guess is there was one or two people there that struggled with that a little bit, probably one or two people there that were uncomfortable with that. Cause let's all keep in mind, this is a hospital, isn't it? (laughs) This is a room full of broken people who are living out brokenness in, in our lives. But, but as a whole, they, they absolutely accepted them. So much so did they accept them that it was only 10 years later. And 10 years is pretty fast in when you're talking about historical context and, and historical things. Only 10 years later, and I don't know how many, especially if you're a rather new member to our church, last 10, 15 years or less, uh, you may n- may never have heard this story, but 10 years after Sam became a, a member here, uh, 2001, the current pastor, Terry Harper, resigned to take a, a new ministry and uh, a new place. And uh, when he did that, this church, when we lose a pastor, we put together a search committee to go out and, and find a new pastor. You know, a lot of church committees is about the business inside the walls. It's, it's about the business inside the church. So the committee's focused inwardly. But a search committee is a committee that really has one focus, and that's out there. They're they're engaging with a world of churches. They're engaging with a world of pastors to find their new pastor. And boy, that's an important committee. I mean, the people you hold on that kind of hold the church in their hands for a season. They hold kind of the future uh, of the church in their hands for a season. And so they put this committee together and they elected a man by the name of Jerry Burkett. If you know Jerry, you remember Jerry, you will remember that he's black. He was then, he still is now. And the reason I think that story is so important is because the chairman, everybody on the committee plays a role, right? Everybody on the team is doing something. But a chairman, a captain of a team is always the what? The face of that team. The voice of that team. The Colonial Heights Baptist Church, you know that name from... Years ago, the Colonial Heights Baptist Church, twenty years ago, not in response to something that was going on in the world, not in response to a law, not not in response to you, you know something that well, we need to do this better, and we need to no, they just elected a black man to be the face of their church well, if it wasn 't for these other reasons, why would they have done that? I think probably because Jerry was a very godly, wise leader. And they believed him to be the man of the hour. And whatever the color of his face was, they believed... And by the way, I'm talking about him in the past tense. Jerry's still with us. So I don't don't mean to imply he's gone or not here anymore. He often attends out at our Midlothian campus. But, uh, you, you know, I, I, there's something in that story. It meant something to me when I met Jerry. It meant something... I mean, right away when I saw his face, I knew something about this church what would at that time been a predominantly white church electing a black face to represent them out there in the world. You know, folks, my my message today is... um, It's not a response to the politics of what is going on right now, all all in and around this situation. It's not a response to what's happening to America and what's going on in America and what different, what role this plays in that. It's not a response to the media and all they're saying and showing and doing. And when I say it's not a response to that, I'm not saying that's not important. Hey, there are really real things happening right now with a lot of very real ramifications and, and, and I get it, we need to speak to that and we want to understand. But you know what, My so far what I've seen is there's a lot of voices out there doing and that's not the, that's not the job God's given my voice. The job God has given me is to be a pastor, not the pastor of every church, the pastor of this church. And folks, I fear that around very important things that need very important answers, I fear that the church is giving away the one thing that we're here to do because of other important things. God hadn't put me here to save the government of America. He hadn't put me here to save our way of life. God's put me here to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to do that with a message of reconciliation and whatever your view on all of the different things going on out there and how important and how profound it is, Folks, our vision is to be a church that the 804 can't imagine being without. And this is our opportunity to show away and to show what God's power and what the gospel can do. And if you believe John Perkins and I do, it's only the church that can do that. I'm not saying other issues aren't important. I'm not saying other issues don't need to be spoken to and resolved. I'm saying let's not give away the thing because we're overwhelmed by other important things. I'm confident God's only going to ask me about one thing when I stand before him on the throne. What do you think he's going to ask you about? Are you living for that? Are you keeping the main thing, the main thing? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Heights Baptist Church. I thank you for what is already a part of our DNA, what began here 10 years ago, 30 years ago. What is a part of this group of people right here? Lord, I think we can be clearer. I think we can go further. Lord, we not only have a vision of where we're going, but we have a mission of what we're doing on the way, and that is to connect all people to a God-sized life and love. All people. All people whatever their skin color, their language, their nationality, whatever sin that has been a part of their lives, we want to connect all people to you and to the family of Christ. Father, I pray you would guide each one of us in how we deal with, how we respond to real issues that are going on out there. But God, in our fear, in our anger, in our concerns, may we not lose sight of, of what we can be as a church, what we can be as a believer in the gospel in this moment. Lord, I pray for our church. We do have the wisdom and guidance of how we become clear and how we bring more concrete ideas to how we make it clear to our community what God and the gospel have done here to bring about diversity and unity. We got one Father, one blood, And by the blood of Jesus, we've been saved. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.